Guns, Gear, and Beer podcast. We're we're back. We're not dead. Just uh, back from an extended break. We're all very busy. We got a full house tonight. I'm excited. We're joined by Adam Peeney, who apparently is everyone's favorite because that's who I get the most messages about saying bring Adam back. Uh, Nathan hey. Schultz from Schultz Photography. What's up? Uh, Two Lamb from Ronin Tactics. And Shinobi275 from Instagram. Thank you guys for jumping on today. Anytime, guys. Love it. Yeah, thank Thanks for having me, Dark. No problem. Yeah. Man. Actually, the last message I got specifically asked for Shinobi and Adam, and that they were the the funniest. <laughs> well, I'm a terrible person, so I don't understand why that would be. <laughs> uh, that's good. <laughs> so, too, I'm glad you're able to jump on. Uh, I've known you for a couple of years now, and I've wanted to have you on forever, but it just hasn't been able to happen until now. For those who don't know uh, who you are a little bit about your history. All right. So I, I would say for the viewers, people don't, don't know me. Uh, my name is Stu Lamb. I, I'm the CEO uh, of Ronin Tactics. I started about four years ago. It's a company um, getting out of the military, special forces, and uh, I started a tactical company where I'm able to launch my, my product lines of tactical gear. And also I travel around the United States to people, uh, law enforcement and uh, law advice citizens um, the hard lessons learned in times of war and uh, kind of give them that skill set so they can protect themselves but in order for you to kind of understand the teachings you have to understand the past right you have to understand where where this where this experience is coming from um and, and my te- teaching methodologies so i was born in uh, december 74 in saigon vietnam um, saigon if you don't know fell to the north Vietnamese in 75, um, when the communist ideology started coming in, uh, like any any uh, country that takes over, their doctrine is to pull out their leadership and execute their, their, their leaderships so they can restart their uh, basic governments. So my family, because my uncle served in the, the South Vietnamese, um, they were drugged out and they were shot right away. And anybody who was educated uh, were shot and killed. So if you ever watched like the movies, The Killing Field, The Cameroon, you know, that's what happened to my family. We were drugged out in the streets, we gunned down with animals. My grandfather um, took his life saving and uh, told my mother there's no way that my two sons would ever grow up to be communists. So we uh, we escaped as refugees on a little boat, like imagine a fishing boat, stuffed with hundreds of uh, fleeing Vietnamese. Um, first, we had to make our way past the uh, the piratry that was going on. Um, if you think of, like all of the Thai bandits, the Vietnamese uh, pirates and bandits, you know, they'll come in and they'll hang out off the shore. So anybody who's trying to leave, they'll they'll stop their boats, they'll uh, board their boats, kill the men, kill the women, kill the children, or after they they have their way with the women, they'll kill them and then throw them off and then take the boat and take the goods. Somehow we navigated past that. We went into um, the coastline of Indonesia where um, the Coast Guard stopped us. Um, there was three boats, is what my mom said. Three boats floating off where we're one of the boats. So we were the center boat. 
they latched onto the other two boats. So there was three boats tattered onto the single point on the pool boat, which is the Indonesian boat. They uh, they dragged us out, and my mother told me that the two outer boats uh, pretty much collapsed. So they, they they sunk because of just the the the, uh, the single point uh, on that on that Indonesian boat was dragging all three of our boats. The outer boats basically tipped over. I asked my mother how many people died. She said thousands, thousands perished. And um, you know what she was telling me was that we were the lucky ones. Our boat was the center boat. But when they drug us out in the middle of the ocean, they shot our engine. And they cut the lines. Basically, they left us there to die because they didn't want uh, problems in their country, right? You think about Syria and everything that's going on over in the Middle East. People are trying to leave, trying to save their families. Nobody wants these problems. Nobody wants to take them in. So basically, that's what we're facing. Um, so we drifted. We drifted for roughly, my mother said, two weeks. We drifted out in the ocean. And somehow, uh, we got caught up in a storm. We drifted out to Russian waters where a russian supply boat uh was uh transiting through to go to singapore saw us as a floating boat in the middle of nowhere people were dying uh, my mother was saying that people were getting thrown off the ship because they're dying we're starving you know um there was no water so people were drinking urine you, you're talking about you know hearing my mother talk to me and trying to capture the gravity of it you know when i was young it was just a conversation when i got older you know, after I saw the hardships of the world and, and um, been through some of the higher level uh, resistance training, I realized what my mother's been through. And, and hearing her story was uh, what gravitated me to, to do what I'm doing now, you know, to, to share my story, to make, you know, to, to talk about the, the modern day story of America. This is how the country was founded. So when the Russians came across us, they, uh, they pulled us on the boat, took care of us, and then uh, docked us in Indonesia at a refugee camp. Now, the, the, um, I would say the irony of this story is that the Russians was, you know, they were, they were Russians, they were communists. But this, this same ideology was the same ideology that took me out of my country. You see, it was the communists that, that, that basically took us out of our country, that ripped our lifestyle, our freedoms. But it was the same ideology that looked past that and saw humans floating on a boat and decided to take them on. So that was my first lesson in humanity. And that lesson stuck with me to today, you know, and that's what drove me to to do what I'm doing as a Ronin. So when we um, when we docked into Indonesia at a refugee camp, we stayed there roughly about eight months in grass huts and living like indige, you know, in the dirt, sleeping on the floor. We had nothing. You know, my brother would go into the oceans and try to catch fish, food, anything to survive. Um, so my mother was telling me at any time, you know, we could have been killed because there were so many Indonesian bandits. Um, they, you know, my brother had to go out in the woods and collect wood and, you know, people wouldn't make it back to the camp, you know? So in, in those ways, we, we were lucky. Now, my my aunt married an American Special Forces Lieutenant when, when uh, the war was going on and he expedited the paperwork and sponsored us to come over to the United States. Where when I went to America, I, I landed in Fayetteville, North Carolina, Fort Bragg. You know, so the biggest military special operations base. That's where I grew up. That was my backwoods. And uh, my mother remarried to American Special Forces Sergeant, which you know he basically took me under his wing, raised me. When I was um, eight years old, I was pretty much speaking different languages, running through the backwoods of North Carolina, navigating the stars you know, doing the special forces thing. 
he wasn't trying to train me to be special forces. He, he was just spending time, uh, father and son time together. But what he didn't know was he was, he was molding me into a future green brain. And uh, it stuck with me, you know. So I was raised during that life, uh, that lifestyle. I had a hard time growing up because it was a racist time. In the 80s, it was a racist time. When I say that is um, the Vietnam War was just, it was pretty new. I told you I was raised in a military base, like around the biggest military base, Bayville, North Carolina, right? So you have all these different people, right, because of the military. Um, and a lot of them are, are poorly educated on history. So they looked at me like I was the North Vietnamese. They looked at me like I was a communist, right? And I, I, I was called that many times growing up. But what they didn't realize, it was truly the communists is what killed my family. You know, it was the communists that ripped my family out on the streets and gunned them down like animals. So I took the blunt of not just being picked on, you know, growing up and fighting racism, but I also was called a name that destroyed my family. You see what I mean? It was like, uh, it was hard. It was really hard times growing up. Somehow I made it through that. At 18 years old, I listed in the military against my mother's uh, wishes, but I knew I wanted to be a Green Beret. Uh, there was no direct hire back when I uh, enlisted. So I went airborne infantry. The reason why I, I wanted to be a, a ranger, I really wanted a ranger contract, but I remember that my father and my mother lived in North Carolina. So I knew if I could make it back to Fort Bragg as an infantry guy, then I could be around. So I chose the infantry route. Um, I was standing in formation after airborne school, after I graduated um, at the 82nd uh, reception where they're gonna decide where we're gonna go. And I saw a group of a squad of guys in black uh, T-shirts and black uh, like Ranger panties, and they're running like mock speed down Ordens Road, right? Just super fast. I'm like, wow. So I broke formation because I was in the back formation. I ran after them, and I ran, and they they're dude. It was like at least a five mile run. They're they're running super fast, and somehow we ended up at a old uh, compound. Right. So they finished their run. We ended up at compound. I remember looking up and it said F company, Lurse. And I remember a ranger tab was up there. And uh and I asked them, how can I, I join this unit? And uh they said go to your first sergeant. So I went to the first sergeant and asked for a job. He uh he smoked me for uh, I would say a good four hours, right? He put the uh the pain in my body and made me realize that um this is no joke. So after four hours of not quitting, he he said, well, maybe you're just this stupid. So he gave me a, a letter of acceptance, took it to the 82nd reception, and that's where I went to LERS. Um, and I, I went to Amphibious LERS unit. Now, let me tell you how racist the Army was back in the, um, in the early 90s. When I showed up to the LERS unit, you know, I, I got called all sorts of racist names. In fact, one of the first things they told me is they're going to drown me. And they physically drowned me. They literally drowned me. Like, I passed out. I drowned. because. Um, they were training me to be a Bivis reconnaissance guy. So basically, you're going to have to go through, you know, a Bivis reconnaissance school, the Marines and Bivis reconnaissance, or the recondo. And um, when I was training up for it, they drowned me, but somehow I made it. Somehow I, I made it through their training, got on a Bivis team. Um, the teams, you know, I did well. And then uh, when I hit 19 years old, I went through one of my first missions with LURS, you know, JTF 6 mission on the border of Mexico. And then after that, I put in my, um, Packet for special forces selection. There you go. And I spent the rest of my time in special forces. Yeah, it was it was a great um, 
upbringing. I think it built a lot of character. So a lot of the the harder training, you know, where they, they starve you and you're 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 tired. Maybe you're getting one hour of sleep at night. Uh, in special forces uh, assessment selection, I mean, you're pushing jeeps, you're carrying water blivets. You know, um, um, when I, when I say that, it's like these big water blivets. You know, remember those water blivets, uh, Shinobi, in basic training where we put you know those huge water blivets, like a thousand pound water blivets. Talk about like the like the hanging lister bags or like yeah. the big uh, the black ones. No, no, the big hanging like black. You know where they um, I don't know they hang it on underneath like an overhang and you get water off it. But yep. yes. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. So they fill it up. What they do is they fill it up with sand and then they wet it down with water. So that thing goes up to a thousand pounds. Oh yeah, Jesus. So you're carrying out on a stretcher for unknown distance. When I say unknown this year, you're probably carrying up to seven to eight miles through the woods, you know? So that was when, when you're starting to face that amount of pain, right? That's when I drove back into my growing, like my livelihood, like how I, I was raised, you know? I was raised out of pain. I was raised out of suffering, you know? Um, and one, I was born into suffering and war. So it wasn't very hard for me to drive that emotion, you know what I mean? So... All through my life, when things get bad, when when things get bad in my life, I have a very strong mindset. I'm able to go back into some of my harder training, able to go back into the way I was raised, and utilize that energy to get me through. Hell yeah! When uh, when when people ask what it takes to get through that kind of selection process or other special forces selection, what what do you recommend people try and do to prepare for it? Your mind, your your body is going to quit. Your body's going to give up on you. There's physically, your body's going to start shutting down. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, like, you know, because Shinobi's on a ranger school, right? We we share that. Ranger school. When I hit um, when I hit Florida phase, my my hands are locking up. Um, what's it called when your your hands kind of lock up? You know what I mean? Or, yes. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. So you're dehydrated. Yeah, it's like, it's like that muscle like cramp feeding type cramp. Yeah, cramps. Yeah, you got so, bad cramps. Well, it's not just dehydration. It was my body was shutting down. Like I had no more fat on my body. My my actually, your body your body eats away at your muscle and it gives you this kind of burning tire smell, right? Um, and your hands start locking. I remember this. My hands start locking up on me. I I would drink one gallon amount of water. It's just my hands are locking it. My body was shutting down. But through this process, I realized how strong my mind is. Like when I say that is I can push my mind to the point where I'm about to die. You know, there was certain portions in my training that I, I the pain was so intense that I, I felt like I was going to die. But my mindset, I remember saying to myself, I'd rather die. I'd rather die than live a life without honor. Right. So with that mindset, it allowed me to pass all the pain and misery. You know, and it's kind of hard to describe. Because unless you have that mindset, people don't get it. You know, people won't understand when I say I'd rather die than quit. When I say that, I mean, I, I, I truly mean that, you know. Guys have died in training. So there's, there is that mindset, you know. And, and it's hard to um, talk to people like that when your mind doesn't. Hopefully that makes sense. Absolutely. And I, I'm going to real, real quick jump in and piggyback off of what my brother, too, said. Because I, I know there's a lot of 
stuff going around the internet saying, you know, your body is stronger than your mind. And I, I see that, but you know what? It's, it's, the, it's, he's right. It's the total opposite. Your mind is stronger than your body. Cause your body, like two said, will give up on you way before your mind will. If you have a strong mind, strong mindset, that's the key to everything. Oh, yeah, definitely. Cause like I, when I was in rip in 2001, I, made it to the first day of the second week we did a five mile run and i actually cracked both my ankles and i made made it through the five mile run and i was like on my hands and knees crawling had to get up the uh instructors wouldn't see me crawling and then but somebody saw me and they're like what's wrong i'm like i don't know my ankles are hurting but i'm okay i gotta keep going they literally had to grab me and said no you're going to medical you'll get your ankles your legs looked at and that's when i got dropped from ripples when they found out you're both your ankles are, cra- are cracked you're, you can't make it through so it's definitely a mind over matter. I mean, as long as you're basically saying you're not going to quit, your body will keep going as long as it can, but your mind has to be stronger than what your body will ever be able to do. Yeah. If the worst thing is you're going to die. You know, that's the worst thing. <laughs> <laughs> my, my team started always told me because we were stuck in Alaska and it was 30 degrees below zero. The uh, helicopter's coming in because there was a blizzard that came through. We came off an eight-day recognition, so the body's worn down. And I remember my teeth starting like, dude, this is real. And my snot was frozen to my face. It was fucking cold. I was done. I wanted to go fucking ex- I wanted to go. We cannot go. We have to move. And he goes, and I remember uh, looking at him, and he said, this is real. If you don't move, you're going to die. And I remember that stuck with me. The worst thing that's going to happen to you is you're going to die, right? So. You might as well live a life of honor because, you know, your mind, you know, you, your mind, even in this stage of my life, I'm trying to train my mind. You see, because my mind, I have trained myself to be very lethal on the battlefield. And just when I, when I say it as in the hands and guns and tactics and strategy, I, I train majority of my life. But now it's more deeper than that. More Now it's more about inner peace. And and really inner discovery, self discovery, and and I'm not the first at this 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 mindset or this concept. Samurais, warriors from the past, they do this after they they do a full career. The true warriors reflect back on their careers and reflect back on their lives, and then they truly discover who they are. You know, and right now it's just a discovering process for me. Hell yeah, and and I'm glad that uh you're able to take all your past experience, you know, good and bad and be able to teach and pass on your philosophy and your mindset to thousands and thousands of people across the world. I think it's an amazing thing what you're doing. And definitely I know Derek and I, and I, many, many other people support you. So fucking badass, bro. You're, you know, we, we had that talk before. But what is the American story? You know, the American story was, right country found on, on hope, freedom, promise, new land, religion, right? So that's why, like, you know, in the past, the indentured servants, they come over here. Uh, a lot of, you know, different countries, they'll come over here and start over. I mean, abortion, like the African-Americans, slavery. We, you know, Asians were smuggled here for hard labor. But it doesn't matter how we got here. It's what do we do once we get here? How do we make this country better? Well, my... Story and Shinobi story, we're just a modern day American story, you see, because it happened during our lifetime. We're the one who escaped. 
we're the one who started over with fucking five dollars or just a clothes on our backs. And with one generation, my brother became a doctor. One generation, I became a professional soldier. And that's the thing is like that is a mindset. You see, it's not you know it's not about how physical you are. It's about how smart you are. How smart are you in your career? You know, and the reason why I'm I was successful in my career because I was fucking smart about how I approached my career. You know, it wasn't I didn't just stumble upon my career. I war game and I thought about it just like a battlefield. You know, so that's why I was able to reach certain levels at a very young age. Legit. Absolutely. Uh, before we started the podcast, shift gears a little bit, you mentioned that you're getting ready to start filming for season two of your show. Uh, forged in fire yeah yeah so um roughly about beginning of this year oh well actually december of last year was they reached out to me just because uh i, I think because i have a, a presence on social media um everybody knows me as a martial artist so um their history channel reached out their talent reached out to me and they were saying hey would you be interested and in my path as a ronin right now it's about it's about discovery Right, it's about experiences. So when I'm 60 or 70 years old and I can't do the things I, I did anymore, I could tell you, man, I, I lived a thousand lives, right? Because I, I helped over a thousand people in my lifetime. I traveled to the inner world and I, I freed people from slavery. You know? I fought against people, you know, against genocide over in, in Africa, you know, over in the Philippines. So when I say that, I lived a thousand lives, I affected over a thousand people's lives. So now as a Ronin, is about it's about inner discovery, right? It's about self-discovery. So how can I self-discover who I am or, or or move on if I don't try anything new? So when the history channel approached me, I'm like, wow, I get to I get to experience new things. And um, I decided to go and do it. It was a great experience. I met great people. And uh, the show was really uh, it hit it off, man. The history channel contacted me. We were the number two show on the history channel. And this is the pilot season, right? So then they approached me and, um, and they're like, they want a season two. We were ranked number 11 through all of the networks, our show. Um, so this season two is going to be 16 episodes instead of six. Um, and I'll be there for a month. Hell yeah. Over a month. So. I was, I was, when I was watching, I was very surprised at how, how, how terrible some of the blades were that some people were showing up with. Stuff that was bought at gift yeah. shops. I want you to pull yourself out and I don't want you to think about like this. When UFC first came out, you saw the difference in styles, right? You saw the gi, you saw the movie Tie Fighters. You see, you even saw guys in the UFC came in with boxing gloves, right? The thing is this, the blade sport in this, in this uh, obstacle, because it's kind of like a ninja... Uh, American Ninja, a Ninja Warrior kind of obstacle course, mm -hmm. running and chopping. Well, up until now, it's just a regular redneck chopping competition. But now you're, you're cutting through flesh. You're cutting through, you know, uh, fucking pegs. You're cutting through, you know, gravel, rocks, and, and buckets. So nobody's ever seen this before. So when when uh, when guys come in with their different blades, it's interesting to see their mindset behind. Because before the show starts, after uh, they go to their tents, it was, uh, we separate them before the, uh, you run through the course. I would, I would go to their tent and I'll introduce myself and I'll get to know the competitors. And um, it's amazing 
some of their mindset or or lack of mindset you know so the way i look at it it's a great learning experience hopefully um we're educating america on lay geometry and um and how to attack certain things and how to uh, look at an obstacle and then kind of for for game that obstacle and, and and come up with a good course of action and execute you know so that's that's what I, I love about the, uh, the the knife or death show. It's because I'm able to look at it more of a tactic strategy. I look at more of the military um, side and just a blade competition guy. You know, I can imagine it'll be a little bit different for season two since uh, I, I was talking to you before about the first season. The competitors had no idea what the course involved yeah. beforehand. So uh, hopefully for for season two, those who watched the first one will be will be more prepared. Yeah, I, I could tell you that I'm, I'm working with the, the producer right now, and I could tell you it's going to be harder. Excellent. I'm excited for it. They, they asked me one time, they're like, dude, what do you think a good knife course is? I'm like, take a knife, and you put it on the end of your weapon, like a rifle. And you're going to crawl underneath 500 meters of ball bars, and we're going to shoot tracers over your head. There's going to be flares thrust into somebody's fucking... Um, Stomach, and you're going to say the grass grows uh, red, and he's just like, <laughs> "Okay, um, this is this is the history show." <laughs> to going back to the night infiltration course, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like, man, I missed the bayonet course. But no, like I, I had them where they're flipping tires, and they're going to have to sheath their blade and stuff like that. But a lot of these, they want to keep it more um, organic. And go into what we're what I feel you know would like to go because we want to go into the you know the uh, intense physical aspects of competition. Sounds like that needs to be a whole nother show in itself. Well, there is another show that the History Channel approached me about. Unfortunately, I can't do it, but it's about fighting with, with weapons. Um, so I guess that's a that's really popular in Europe where they're taking swords, dull swords with night suits, and they're like. Smashing each other in the face with it or whatever. So um, that might be a show in the future. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. You also mentioned that you have a, uh, a trip to Japan coming up in the near future. Yeah, so uh, October, I go into Japan where I'll be traveling around uh, Japan. Um, Knife Illustrated magazine got a hold of me where they maybe want to put a journalist with me uh, to. Uh, write the story of a modern-day Ronin, traveling through the, uh, the roots of, a, of past Ronins. So when I say that is, I'm going to be visiting the 47 Ronin uh, gravesite. I'll be going to uh, the temples, uh, the old temples of Kyoto, where I'll be meditating with monks. Uh, I'll be going into uh, Miyamoto Masashi's cave, where he wrote, wrote the Book of Five Rings. You know, so I'll be traveling all through Japan, and um, I'll be, you know. Reviewing it so I can share it with my, uh, you know, my friends and my viewers and stuff like that. So definitely looking forward to that and sharing that that moment with, with everybody. That sounds that sounds amazing. I'll be uh, I'm looking forward to following through that as well. It's it's like every year two and Ruthie is getting more busier and busier and busier and busier. It's awesome. <laughs> where you were you were our friend when we first started. You know what both of you guys were. You know so you seen like. Um, where we started where we are now. But the thing is this, that's what I'm going to. It's a mindset. 
everything that I've, you know, kind of been doing is it's a mindset, right? So you have to change your mind because if I had the same mindset as I did when I was on the teams, I wouldn't have made it. Okay. So every evolution of your life, every stage of your life, you have to look back and you have to reevaluate who you are and be truthful to yourself and then look at where you want to be and develop a course of action to get there. The thing is, that's why it's so important to train the mind versus just the body. You know? But the mind is connected to the body. You train the mind, the body's going to follow. You know? So it's all connected mind, body, and spirit. Absolutely. Before we wrap up this segment, too, do you have any um, literature you'd recommend people to look up for uh, anyone wanting to continue looking into strengthening their mind, body, and spirit? I recently read a book by uh, Dr. Bradley. It's called The Better Human, A Better Human, Be a Better Human, Be a Better Human Being, right? So um, I started reading that book, and one of the things that I, I took away from this, this, this lesson was you know, so, so many times I'm, I'm too concerned about things I can't change, right? So, you know, I look at the sufferings over, over in Africa and in the military, I felt like I needed to do something. So I went to the units that will put me into that concept, right? And that's how I looked at it through my whole career. I never looked at a, a unit and go, oh, that's the best unit. This is the way it should be. This unit is, is the best one. And that's why I'm going there. No, I never looked at it like that. I always looked at the world. And I looked at how can I get there and what unit is going to put me in that content and let me fucking fight. When I was reading this book, I'm at the stage in my life that I can't affect everything. I can't change everything, right? So in the book, it talks about a don't give a fuck attitude, right? I, I don't want to say like a bad, uh, in, in such a bad way, but you, you have to not give a fuck attitude. And, and that's what made me better, right? When I got out of the military, I cared about what the teams thought. I cared about what this person thought. I cared about whatever. Well, unfortunately, when you're in a, in a, in a business and you're successful, oh, you're going to have haters, right? So do you entertain the haters and let them influence you? Or do you just go, you know what? That's their problem. That's their problem. That's not your problem. So with this book, when I was reading about it, it, it talks about, you know, a be a better human, understand what you can influence and understand what you can't, you know, pick your friends carefully. You know, you have to pick your friends very carefully because, you know, um, I had friends betray me, you know, but that's part of life, right? And learning. So that's a great book, A Better Human. Um, another great book is uh, the Book of Five Rings, of course. Now, when you read the Book of Five Rings, right? You have to read it accordingly to your life. It was written by Miyamoto Masashi back in 1645 in a Buddhist cave as he was dying of stomach cancer when he wrote this book. Okay? And he talks about the virtues of being aware. Well, in, in any Asian culture, we break things down into uh, philosophies and we, we tie it into nature. Samurais and past warriors of, of, of that type were very bonded with nature okay, in the way of them. So when I when I read uh, me and Moltmann's teachings in the year 2013, as I was depressed, right after after 23 years of service, right and and, and I was lost, you know. So when I read his book, it, it took on a different meaning to me. And 
to everybody else, it should take on a different meaning. So when you approach this book, don't approach it as a warrior unless you are aware. You have to approach it as your own individual lifestyle. So if you're a student that's struggling through college, read the teachings and take out the lessons. So during my time of depression, right, I'm, I'm already a warrior. I already know about speed and angles. I understood a lot of those things in his teachings. One thing that I read that made me who I am today uh, came from the Emoto's teaching. And the teaching was do not look for strength outside of yourself. Everything, all your love, all your passion comes within. You see, up until that point, when I got out, I was looking for strength through my wife, my ex-teammates, my father. I was looking at strength everywhere else. But when I read the book of Five Rings and the teachings, that one statement, that one uh, philosophy that Miyamoto wrote back in 1645 resonated and allowed me to push past. You know, it allowed me to push past, you know, the, the darkness, the haze, and it made me into a Ronin. And, uh, and that's why the company's called Ronin, is because Miyamoto Masashi was a Ronin back in 1645. And after I read his teachings, I decided that I need to move on to my own teachings and develop my own inner peace. So I became a Ronin. They, I, I took his teachings and I just applied to modern day life. So the Book of Five Rings. Um, the life-giving sword, right, for the guys that uh, have to defend their country, especially for police officers, you know, they have to take life. Um, for for the military guys, I don't really, you know, see too many problems with, with uh, especially the spec ops guys, because we're trained to take life. That's just a warrior's path. We're trained to subdue evil. Uh, we're trained to travel around the world and, and kill off the evil. But what what how that helped me was, it made me found my peace, let's say, right? So for so long, I've traveled around the world, right? I've fought, you know, and people have died. But it made me close that chapter when I read the book, uh, The Life-Giving Sword, because it talks about a samurai and his conversation with a monk. And he talks about a tyrant that controls people and subdues them and oppresses these people. Well, if you go and you kill that one tyrant, and you save thousands of lives. Okay? So you're not taking life, you're giving life to the good of this world, and you're destroying the roots of the evil. So the, the life again is the word really talks about the deep philosophies of killing, right? Uh, I find that that resonated more with me than the book by uh, Grossman on killing. We read that book, right? The book on killing about, you know, by Grossman. Yep. Yeah, okay. I think I remember that one. Yeah. And Lieutenant the, Grossman. Yeah. So if you guys haven't read the book, you should read it. You should read a book called The uh, Warrior's Mindset. Mike Grossman, he talks about um, the physical philosophy or the physical uh, physical size of, of, of um, taking life, right? When I talk about that is, you know, the, the numbness in your hand, you know, some, some people lose vision, uh, close vision, right? Because they forget to breathe. And when I read that, I'm like, forget to breathe? How the fuck can you forget to breathe? But you see, that's what I'm talking about because I have forgot to breathe before. When I, I remember when, when they kicked me out of a fucking airplane one time and uh, I was falling to the earth at, you know, 160 miles an hour, and they told me at 10,000 feet, I want you to turn and I want you to fly towards the road. And then once you hit the road, I want you to do a front flip, a back flip, and I want you to do a, a hang like a, a, a 
basically our cross. Five thousand feet. I want you to level out. I want you high lift track for five seconds. See what I'm saying? They were giving me these fucking crazy tasks. You know the only thing I remember? My fucking atomer deployed at four or five. I didn't turn to the road. I didn't see no road. I didn't see shit. (laughs) (laughs) And I forgot to breathe. You see what I'm saying? when, When I teach people. And I teach them the way of the gun. I teach them the way of the knife, the way of the tank, right? It goes into a state of mushin. You have to attack your training to a state of normal mind. A samurai talked about the state of normal mind. This this monk asked a shogun, what is the way to war? And the, social, the shogun looked at the monk and said, monk, the way to war is the way of normal mind. Because you're freely able to think things through clearly in all of chaos times of war and you truly reach that state of lethality you truly reach that state of mushin the state of no mind so when i approach things when i train my students i train i rep them to the state of no mind and we do it in the military right rehearsals we do it mission planning course action development we do it over and over and over but nobody's ever really understood it in the teachings of bushido right in the teachings of budo because in special forces and rangers and navy seals and all that it's just a modern day budo study of war okay so because i came from an asian background and because i'm a martial artist i'm able to tie it into the teachings of the commandos into my teachings of budo so i can truly relate right to those teachings so and that's what i kind of give to my students so the life-giving source the third one and uh those are three great books. If you're into military books, I would say uh, The Devil's Guard, right? The Devil's Guard was one of my first uh, readings when I was a teenager, right? About these uh, uh, SS soldiers in World War II. That, um, after the Russians won, right? They started pulling the Germans out and started killing all, right? Line them up, shoot them down, right? And there was a group of Wapen SS guys that uh, walked out. Right, and went into France and became legionnaires. And uh, they started over with their docks and everything, and they went into the Indochina War, where they raged unconventional warfare against the North Vietnamese. And when I say it's brutal, that's a brutal book, right? So I understand when you come with it, it's reality. That's how wars are fought unconventionally. So it gives you that special forces ranger mindset, right? I'm also a big uh, component of reading history. I love it. I love history. I love how America was founded. I love reading about the Revolutionary War, the tactics of the Indians and the Natives. I, I love. I love reading all that. I'm a big time. Uh, I believe in not just the body, but you have to educate the mind. You have to be an intelligent guy. You have to be. What makes a aware in today's society lethal is his ability to think. Right. And if you're a smart guy that practice in the art of lethality and tactics and strategy. You're going to be hard to beat on the battlefield, extremely hard. So that's my approach, and those are my uh, those are the books I kind of draw from. You know, some of the books. So check it out. Those are great books. We'll definitely check those out. Have you ever considered writing a book of your own? I am right. I um, I have an agent um, that I kind of I, I seek his advice on certain things. Obviously, there's a section in my career that's extremely sensitive. You know, that's that's the way it is. I did take an oath, uh, I swore, and I wrote contracts that I will never talk about. So, but a lot of those life teachings 
during that time frame was um, needs to be said. So I'm looking at the ways to write it where the teachings can come across without breaking the offset, without breaking my commitment to my country and the, the oath that I swore to my country. You know, so th- there will be a book. Um, and I think I'm going to, the way that I want to structure it is I want to break it down to five books, right? So it'll be the modern day book of five rings, but it'll be about my life where he talks about born in war. So let's say the ground book, right? The book of ground. So in the teachings of the five rings, ground is the teachings of to ground yourself in combat, to teach, to understand strategy and tactics and all that. Well, that's, that's special forces training for me, or ranger training or, 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 or those elite level special operations training. Those are, that's the book of ground. So I'm going to break it down to my path of like escape from Vietnam and, and raising up a racism and stuff like that. And then that was my path to get to the army. And then I'll, I'll break it down into what I did with the long range reconnaissance. And I'll probably break it down into special forces, you know? So I want to structure it where it ties me in into the book of five rings, where I break it down my book into the teachings of Bushido. You know, I just don't know how to, how, how I want to just, do it just yeah how i want to fine tune it yet um there's also a production company out in canada that wants to do a documentary on my life which um i will have full access of the documentary that means i own half of it and uh they can't make a move without me and we were talking about putting release now on netflix so we'll see we'll see how, how it goes um and also trying to find the time to do it so um but yeah, those are the two big projects that I would like to launch uh, probably next year or, or the following year after that. Fantastic. As thank you two for coming on as we wrap up this this first segment. Um, where can people find you if they uh, would like to know more or just follow you? What are your social media platforms? Um, you can find me on my website at www.ronintactics.com. Uh, you can find me on social media at Facebook, uh, Ronin Tactics, and you can find me on Instagram. Ronin tactics. So, uh, a lot of uh, my logo is the red uh, Ronin dragon. So, um, you see a red dragon that looks like a Chinese stamp, and that's uh, that's Ronin. So, uh, look us up, and uh, you know, feel free to communicate. Um, and you know, a lot of people ask us when I'm going to travel to their state. We're trying. We're trying to make it through all the states. Uh, it's just you know trying to you know book the schedule uh, accordingly. So, those are three ways to find us. Awesome, awesome. Nathan, where can people go and find you if they need some terrible pictures taken? <laughs> Our website will be uh, www.schultz-photography.com and we're also on Instagram as Schultz Photography underscore and then we're also on uh, Twitter as Schultz Photo underscore. Awesome, awesome. And Shinobi? They won't find me. I'll find them. No, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, Shinobi275 Instagram. I want to send a shout out. Shinobi's like my brother, right? So um, love the guy, X Ranger 275. That is actually like my my most favorite Ranger Battalion, just because of my history with 275 with those guys. Great guys. Um, hopefully, um, just letting you know, hopefully Shinobi and I can do something combined in the future. Um, it'll be great. It'll be uh, probably called Ninja Week, where uh, him and I will will get together and you know, we'll, we'll teach and, um, and spread the, the word. You know? That would be awesome. I would fly out. Absolutely. That. Absolutely. You know I'm down, bro. I know. I know. I got it's, your back. So. It's finding the time where, where we can get together. But 
Um, but that's, that's what I'm saying, man. You got to surround yourself with great people. And, you know, Shinobi and, and my other friends like Tim Kennedy, um, that's not a great guy to have on the show. He, he, he just releases a hard to kill show. Um, great guy. Um, a lot of other guys in, in the uh, industry, you know, you got to surround yourself with great people, you know, and if you surround yourself with riffraff, you understand this. If you surround yourself with riffraff and people that, that badmouth others, then you will become categorized as that, that group, you see? So it's very important that you surround yourself with great people, and Shinobi is, is one of them. So thank you for our friendship. I feel the same way, bro. 100%. Thank you. I'm honored to have you in my life. So thank you. Hi. You, um, you need to come to Dallas with us when we um, work in November if you take some time off. Yeah, I, I already talked to Ruthie. It's going to happen. Great, great. So just, just letting you know, Derek, we uh, we get back from filming, and I have Miami, uh, where I'm, I'm working with Tony out of um, Real World Tactical. Great guy. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I come back, and I have Japan, possibly Hong Kong. And then I come back from that, and then I have Dallas, uh, Dallas Trainer, Dallas Watt guys, and then that'll, that'll be the rest of the year. So um, I'm looking forward to finishing all this this work this year and then kind of have some downtime where i can regroup absolutely man you need, you need some time to yourself yeah. well thank you guys for jumping on this has been an amazing episode i had a blast thank yeah. you guys for listening you can check us out at moguns.com where you can get uh patches stickers apparel and gear thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you